Welcome once again on July 10th, 2019, or the 27th anniversary of the Brad Pitt cartoon crossover cinematic hit, Cool World. No. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and we are giving you the first part of our long-awaited, much-anticipated, whatever ado is, it had a lot of it, of our mid-year Oscars preview, review, prediction kind of view show, I guess is an easy We're word to put it. We're calling it our mid-year Oscar report. That's right. That's an easier way to, to think about this. That's what we called it last year. Right. <laughs> I am your co-host, Mike One. That is co-host also, Mike. So what we're going to do for you guys today is we've broken up the Oscars categories into three different episodes. We're going to have seven categories per episode because we're not doing the shorts yeah no offense shorts we we love to see you come oscar time yes and take in those presentations and we reviewed much of the shorts last year we did but uh, and we will again probably this year there's n- there's no way anybody knows unless pixar shorts. has one right. there's no need for us to speculate on them it's right coming now. to disney plus so right. nobody's even <laughs> seen it yet and also we combine the sound categories of mixing and editing into one kind of take because they're so close right. and we will actually review what those mean for our benefit just as much as for your benefit uh, when we get to it that's actually going to be covered in this episode you ask me like once a month i i it's absurd they should be one category i understand why they're not and everybody that is a sound editor and a sound mixer just turned us off and i don't blame you so here's what the categories we're covering in this part one today we're doing adapted screenplay supporting actress original score both sound categories covered as one documentary feature, and best actor. We tried to divide the overall categories so everyone had kind of two of the big six at least in each episode, in each part. So that's where we're going to start with today. And we're going to start with a big one right off the bat. Let's talk about looking forward and adapted screenplay, Michael. So here's how we're breaking this down, right? Mm -hmm. Every category, we have our picks for who we think is the front runner right now. Yes, sir. We follow that up with a pick that we think is a likely nominee, Mm -hmm. and then we pick a third wild card for each category we cover. So that wild card can be either somebody that we sneaky think has a chance, somebody that we hope has a chance, somebody that we would be loved if they actually made it, et cetera, et cetera. We don't just want to list off 20 movies and... Right. Because that becomes boring. So let me start by listing off 20 movies. No, uh, Clayton Davis at Award Circuit, he has his list. I kind of leaned on him the most. Mm -hmm. Next Best Picture has a bunch of good lists. There are friends out there, friends of the pod, certainly. Uh, Gold Derby's really doesn't have anything out there yet. Focused on the Emmys right now. There's not a Feinberg forecast out there on Hollywood Reporter. Those are kind of our go-tos, but uh, I will go into Clayton Davis right now. You have Steven Zalian for The Irishman, Peter Strahan for The Goldfinch, Greta Gerwig, Little Women, Tracy Letts, The Woman in the Window, D. Rees, uh, and Marco Villalobos for The Last Thing You Wanted. You also have Ford vs. Ferrari, Toy Story 4, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, Richard Linklater there, The Truth, Jojo Rabbit, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and Loose. I did that quickly, so it wasn't that boring. Yeah, I like that. I appreciate that. I also think this is a big year for this category, right? Yeah. And so in that vein, talking about frontrunners to start off the adapted screenplay category, I don't see a frontrunner yet, at least not one that so I can... So your first answer is a non-answer. It's exactly true. Expect a lot of that from me this episode, per usual. Uh, <laughs> I see a lot of names that we think should be in contention come Oscars time, but I, I don't know that, that one that I'm like, yes, this is this is the leader in the pack, this is the one to beat. Gun to my head, I would pick Little Women right now, just because I think there's that history with Gerwig. It's a beloved property in Hollywood, and she's probably owed a win from what happened with Lady Bird two great, years ago. Great transition. That is my pick. Okay. Little Women from Greta Gerwig. 
Because Lady Bird was probably my favorite screenplay of 2017. She deserved an Oscar for Lady Bird. That was so awesome. Yeah, Jordan Peele was a juggernaut that writing season. I get it. Mm -hmm. I wish they gave him credit in the best director category. Wouldn't have been an issue if they didn't give anything to Del Toro. Because the script was beautiful in Lady Bird. It it balanced so many things. The coming-of-age story, the drama. You have a serious midlife crisis for the mother character. My God, that was a brilliant script. It it seemed cookie-cutter that they should have gone... Want to get out or Lady Bird for original screenplay? Get out or Lady Bird for director, and then you could have still given Shape of Water the best picture win. But I, I do, understand why it broke down differently. I do think the fact that people have to make the long, slow climb in many cases and knock on the door in many cases for awards. Mm-hmm. Scott Feinberg talk about yep. this. They like you to get your reps right. and earn your place at these Oscars. Greta Gerwig has has been doing that for a while, and she did it with a nominee. In, La- in Lady Bird, and this is the category where newcomers seem to break in sooner than than later. So if if any one nominee could get the win here, Little Women could get it for her. And Little Women is a historically awarded property too. I mean, it's it's been it's been remade a bunch of times. But she's already dealing with a great story. Yeah. She's got a great cast, a great cast, unbelievable cast. And when this thing comes out in December, I think this is going to gain a lot of momentum. I can't believe I'm saying that about Little Women, which yeah. I've been allergic to my entire life up to now. You and me both, man. <laughs> but I do think the Academy has a memory for things like Lady Bird. Lady Bird walked out of the theater there with no wins, with I can't no wait hardware. until you and I go hand in hand in the Christmas season to go see Little Women together at the theater. Both of our mothers in tow. But can you imagine us skipping ahead of them? This is going to be the best adapted oh screenplay. Oh my God, Greta! Adapted screenplay, here we come. This is my favorite. You had a tough time watching Green Book with me last year. Uh, no, just like, I'm going to get popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> so we, go. we agree on the front runner there. Let's talk about our picks for a likely nominee for the adapted screenplay yeah, category. Ahead. For me, this is the widest swap because I think there's like... 18 likely noms here. Right. Uh, you can make the case for so many. I think The Woman in the Window, based it's on the AJ Finn novel. also my pick again. How are we doing this? Well, don't worry. You, we didn't you trample us. on my toes a bunch coming up. So <laughs> uh, The same goes. I'll, I'll give you uh, The Woman in the Window, though. I'll say The Kitchen. I think that's the film that I have the highest hopes for right now in 2019. Coming out in August. Yeah. That's going to be tough. a tough happen happening. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to play through, but I'm rooting for it to do so. Right. Same here. I have high, high hopes for it. We've reviewed the trailer. We're, we're into that. My likely nom is the woman in the window. Like you said, I'm saying it's because of Tracy Letts. I think he's going to be an Academy darling. I think the Academy loves him. I think he's very well respected for his work in the theater. I think the novel is also a bestseller. And I think you're dealing with another strong story going in. And if this cast crushes it, we're going to talk about some of the production values later on. I really like chances for the woman in the window right now. I think Let's is also going to charm the pants off the Academy. Yeah, I think there's like a big five or six right now as far as movies that we all expect to be up there elbowing each other for best picture consideration. I think The Woman in the Window is definitely one of them. Pretty Woman is definitely one of them. Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Why have neither of us said The Irishman or The Goldfinch? Because... What? Because The Irishman had such a long production odyssey? Do we think that script is a little weaker? It seems to be very reliant on de-aging technology. <laughs> and Joe I, Pesci's shinier is not going to work well, for me. I just have a tough... I know it's Scorsese. I have a tough time envisioning something that, that has a de-aged Robert De Niro for the majority of the film yeah. 
breaking I, through. I agree. I think there are red flags all yeah. over that. And I, Scorsese has said there are. I mean, in interviews, he's come out and said it. So, And, and the Goldfinch seems good. I just, I, I picked Moving Tracy that release Lights. date scared the hell out of me for the Goldfinch. It really? was supposed to be in November, October. They moved it back to September. And that move, historically, by studios has been, well, this isn't the awards contender we thought it would. Let's get it out of our system in September instead. Mm-hmm. That's why I stayed away from it. Um, as far as the wild card picks now, we started this category soft, uh, calling it sneaky picks. We're going to call it wild card because this isn't a sneaky pick mm-hmm. as much as this is a crusade by the Latin church did in the Middle Ages. <laughs> Avengers Endgame has to be nominated for adapted screenplay. It has to be nominated. It was so good. It's got to get something, right? Game of Thrones in their last season was so questionable, it spurred a million people or more to sign a petition (laughs) on change.org, right? Like, Lost is still a show people talk about regretting putting so much time into because how the ending was handled. Both The Return of the Jedi and Episode 3 have its detractors, and let's not even talk about the misogynistic fanboys that were all up in arms over The Last Jedi, Episode 8. True. Every single major pop culture consuming medium of entertainment, save for maybe Breaking Bad or The Wire, has had questionable endings and endings that have pissed off a wide array of people. And yet Marcus and McFeely, the writers of Endgame, adapted from the Avengers comics, have not. The biggest question they brought up and the biggest argument and point against them was how they handled the fictitious notion of time travel. So the biggest thing that I'm going to say about that in terms of a writing sense is that story serialization is based on an endless middle. They, they, talk, they teach you that in 101. That sounds like a writer. Yeah, they teach you that in like whatever. Uh, communications class 101. Mm-hmm. TV is more about the next adventure, you know, setting yourselves up for another episode and another episode and another episode. The longer these TV series can go, the more money they make people in the industry. So the fact that you had serialization become a major part of the movie industry, of the theater-going industry, like it was in the 30s and 40s, it's not that easy to bring a 20-picture arc to a close or a (laughs) five-picture arc or a three-picture arc. It's hard to do that. Yeah. That's why they've kind of worked in threes up till now. They've worked in those sim- simpler formulas to now take, you know, just look at X-Men. Yeah. How hard that was. Look at them going back to Dark Phoenix. Well, this worked before. Ugh. Yeah. Mike, Avengers Endgame crushed it. On degree of difficulty alone, which is the case you just laid out, I don't understand how you don't give this... It's well-deserved. It should be for best picture. But if you want to take a step back and you're still having those kinds of reservations that we can't honor a giant blockbuster just because it's a giant blockbuster and a superhero movie, we can't consider that best picture, then you have to give it an adapted screenplay of nothing else. Follow Awards Ace on Twitter. I I know he's got a great website as well. He's been saying to us that, that he thinks that we will be pleased, get. is what he said. We will be pleased with the uh, the nominations, the, yeah. the nominations and the campaign. And I would hope it gets kind of a Lord of the Rings, Return of the King like send off or at least transition. But they know there's going to be another fifty movies, so I don't know if it's going to get the same reception. It's also hasn't had the same lead in. Like Lord of the Rings, the first two movies were nominated for everything in those Oscars That's previous. True. That's true. So this doesn't necessarily have the same situation as Lord of the Rings did, uh, but I co-sign your pick. Yeah, my counterpoint to what you just said there is, um, just do it, you cowards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little mad that you wrote that down first, so I'm <laughs> mad at you during this first category. I'm sorry. So look, my hope is The Rise of Skywalker, but I think that is a... I would love that. 
I think that's a long shot. I mean, that has just as much. If they can nail that, you could have everything we just said about Endgame and copy it and paste it for Rise of Skywalker if they come away with a universally loved film. I, I'm really hoping J.J. Abrams exceeds my expectations. He usually meets the expectation because yeah. he, he knows what he's doing, but I want him to just make me so he happy. He hasn't disappointed a lot of people right. since Lost. Yes. <laughs> Toy Story 4 is another hope of mine that would cross over into this category. I think the underperforming of the box office is going to be a mark against it. I, I would doubt that this gets there. How hypocritical is that of the Academy? That Well, you underperformed at the box office, so we can't recognize you. But if you do too well at the box office, we can't recognize you. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a conundrum. <laughs> that's a bit of a paradox. I would agree. So I'm going to jump on the next best picture bandwagon here and say Jojo Rabbit. And this is sheer yeah, hopes because I, I haven't seen this yet. Taika Watiti from Thor Ragnarok. Boy, the Hunt for the Wilder People. These movies are heartfelt. They work as much dramatically as they are funny. And these are funny-ass yeah. movies. You have Taika Watiti telling a story where he plays Adolf Hitler, who's the projection of Hitler in that kid's mind. Right. And he's going to make this funny and heartfelt, and Scarlett Joe's going to be up for, for Oscars for this, and it's getting a ton of buzz, and NBP, our favorite people over there, they love it. If I were to tell you there's a film coming out entitled Jojo Rabbit, tell me the synopsis without knowing anything, <laughs> how long would it take you to get to a Hitler movie? A Kiwi is playing a German, <laughs> the most famous German ever, unfortunately. My God, yeah, I agree. But that, that that's just a narrative that I want to see. I want to see Taika oh, Waititi yeah. Sign me up. break into the Oscar conversation. Not that I want him to get away from making blockbuster movies and fun movies and sure. comedies. And, like, I love him for that. No, he just deserves more recognition on a wider sa- stage. I agree. I, I think he's awesome. Hunt for the Wilder People was a top five movie for me. Boy, it was a great rewatch. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of his work. We can move into supporting actress now, Mike. Let's go. What do we have for some of the heavy hitters here? Scarlett Johansson and Jojo Rabbit, Nicole Kidman in The Goldfinch. Laura Dern is going to be in an untitled Noah Baumbach project. She's going to be in a project by Noah Baumbach that's currently untitled, is what I mean to say. (laughs) She's not going to be in a future untitled project. How how am I doing with the listing on this one? Not good. You're nailing it. (laughs) Margot Robbie in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Janelle Monae, next best picture mentioned Janelle Monae in Harriet. She was my toughest omission. They love Octavia Spencer and Luce. They love Luce, Matt Negley and company. Yeah, Luce has gotten a lot of, not just from next best picture, a lot of people that saw it are in love with it. And Charlize Theron in Fair and Balanced. Now, I'm taking out some of the major contenders that we're going to mention and whatnot. Sometimes I do that. Because my front runner for this category is Annette Benning in the report. This is also Clayton Davis's number one right 7. now. 7.5 right now on IMDb. I'm thinking she gets the Glenn Close backlash to the backlash to the backlash. because That's funny. I have that for one of my picks later on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a three-part backlash. She'll actually get the benefit of the... So if it's... I've never had gotten an Oscar. Right, so if it's three, that means it's back to the original point, which is the Lifetime Achievement Award. Right, okay. because, Mike, I'll just get this out of the way. It's her time. It's her time. God Mike. damn it. No, I, I think she's great in everything, and she was great in 20th Century Women recently. She was great in Captain Marvel. She She's so good so often, so if she's doing a political movie, and regardless of whether or not that movie is a 90 percenter, mm-hmm. her performance is going to shine in this. Now, if it got pushed back to 2020, 
oh, she's just going to win easy. She'll sweep right then and there. I think so. If it was in the election year, are you kidding? Oh, good she was point. in a political movie in an election year, basically, you know, hearkening back to someone else who's going to, might be up for a VP or a All right. presidential I, position. I would buy that. So push it back. If they push <laughs> Do it, the right thing, studios. I, I think they did push this back already into a kind of an Oscar time slot. So I think, this, I think that's one of the movies. But the report was supposed to come out in late spring, then they moved it around. Yeah. So that's a good omen. I think it I, I think it debuted at a festival. I, Sundance. I, yeah, okay, it, did. it was not Sundance. Okay. I don't know if it debuted there, but it was at Sundance. Right. Um, and so that, you know, like I said, 7.5 on IMDb. It's being held right now as a, as a substantial film. If, if maybe not a best picture. Contender, she does but. not have an Oscar, and she's way too yeah. good not to have an Oscar, right? Well... Glenn? I mean, the easy counter-argument to that, right? <laughs> the easiest counter-argument to that is that clearly this widening academy doesn't buy into that narrative, yeah. but it won't stop us from pitching it because I use the same logic later on in this episode. True. Um, for me, for supporting actor and actress, I feel like the supporting categories are the major categories of the big six right now that I'm least prepared for because I just don't know enough about the biggest contenders, I feel. It was only the most difficult category to project last year, right? <laughs> right. So it's not, <laughs> we had no idea what was going to happen. I mean, this is essentially a shot in the dark because I just I, I don't know enough about a lot of the, the contenders in the categories. But that said, there's an unusual trend that I noticed happening this year. The supposed contenders, it, it doesn't really happen every year with like this. But this year, for some reason, there's a lot of A-list and past Oscar winners and past Oscar contenders that have taken supporting roles in some supposed best picture contending films true so my pick for a front runner is along those lines and it's probably going to be like this for both supporting categories but my pick is meryl streep i mean I, i'll leave it to later on in the award season as to whether or not i think this is a ploy by these a-listers to just cheaply get another oscar i don't know if that's the case yet but meryl streep is in this list of all the people in little women in the greta gerwig movie i promise not every pick i have is from greta, greta gerwig's little women but i don't see how she wouldn't be the front runner because she exists when she wins all the emmys and critics choice and golden globes for the big little lies performance yeah. <laughs> does that help or hurt her for no, we're gonna have can is so does meryl fatigue exist is that a thing that are we ever going to be capable of being tired of meryl streep as a country i don't know i don't know will either. they say all right she just got all of that love for the emmy and for the... I can see it going both ways. I, 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 you're making a great point, but I can also see, oh, just give her the Oscar, too! Load her up! <laughs> I don't know how that'll work. That's a that's a fascinating question. But I think that's a safe pick for a front yeah. coming out of the yeah, box. Right. That's, that, that's that how sense. I figure it. What All about right. for a likely nominee, Mike? I'm going with Jennifer Hudson for Cats. Yeah, I hate you. This makes too much sense. She can literally do the most half-assed impersonation of a feline <laughs> for like the 20 minutes of non-singing screen time she gets, Mike. But when she sings, everybody is going to be floored, and she will be, get ready to coin this, print the t-shirts, uh -huh. she will be unsnubbable, <laughs> unsnubbable Jennifer Hudson from Cats. Mike, this woman can just sing like an angel. And you, and you, and you. I don't care if she won the Oscar. You're going to reward me. Yeah, I mean, she won for Dream. This is the blueprint on how she got her first Oscar, being a musical, Sing your ass off, blow people away with your natural talent, win. Look, I could be her stunt double, and I can do the impersonation <laughs> of the cat for those 20 minutes. I'm available for hire. And I could just, whatever, just CGI her face on me. My hairy hands, that would be a bad deal. But it would, it would work makeup. as a cat. Yeah, yeah it's save on makeup. So just, just know this right now. Yeah. That movie is not a... 
40% bomb. Her performance, yeah. and her just singing, belting out. Mike, if she sings Memory, I don't know what character she plays. If she sings Memory, just it's in the bag for a nomination for sure. Dream Girls, she won. Does that keep her out of the winner's circle? It might. Yeah, all of this makes too much sense, and I'm upset about it because <laughs> can we just let Broadway have musicals? Like, do we need to keep adapting them to the silver screen? I don't think there's been a single Broadway musical adapted into a film that I've actually enjoyed, except for Chicago, because Chicago was a banger. But fuck Cats. <laughs> you're not happy with Cats because <laughs> you're a dog person. You, well, I've never seen it. I have no idea if it's That, and I didn't like Les Mis. What about a wild card here, Mike? Okay, I'm calling this a dream scenario. Mm-hmm. I'm saying Maggie Smith from Downton Abbey. I like it. Because my mother will replay each of our episodes a thousand times each, and then our numbers go up. So that, that's again dream so this scenario. Is a sneaky, selfish pick. More importantly, it would validate the guiltiest of my pleasures during some dark, dark times in my life where I'm stuck watching TV with the parents. Rewind it five years ago. But I'm laughing like an idiot at Maggie Smith, who's a bright spot in my pool of hatred, just just wanting the Duke and the Duchess to be dead. This is Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. Yeah. So I watched all of Downton Abbey. Me and LeBron James, we watched it. <laughs> so it's, it's, I'm not going... I'm not together? Such, not together. Not together, okay. Well, together in spirit. Right, of course. That counts. Yeah. So this would make me rationalize a lot of things in my life. <laughs> That I would be allowed to rest. So, She's hilarious. In some backwards feeling way, it would give you <laughs> justification for your past actions. Yes. If Maggie, I, I'll, I'll, I'll co-sign with that. As we frolic into Little Women, I, I dare you to make fun of me then. All right. Fair <laughs> counterpoint. Uh, as for my pick, you know, I don't know if it's a dream scenario or a dream pick or whatever. I would love for all of us to fall in love with Margot Robbie's performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if only to sidestep the inevitable think pieces of Tarantino's misogyny shining through. If her part really isn't juicy enough, as yeah. that reporter accused him of it being uh, when it debuted at Cannes earlier this year uh but if robbie's part is minimalized and once upon a time does become a nominee leader i can see a great backlash from the academy with support swing to a nominee in the actress categories who's in an issue movie about the gender being minimalized by men in power so with that in mind i was looking at that roger ailes picture and there's a litany of a-list actresses attached to numerous roles in it like Margot Robbie, who's due to play <laughs> Kayla Popisil. So that wouldn't surprise me if that narrative holds true. I also wanted to point out from that movie, I don't know which direction specifically the movie's going in, obviously, but the casting of Alana Ubak as the psychotic Judge Janine Pirro, who is a character, hmm. if they let her, if they let Alana Ubak really explore that character, Alana Ubak you'll know as the kind of uh, uh, mental waitress from the movie Waiting, the Ryan Reynolds movie Waiting. She was the one that was a little uh, off-kilter and was nice to people's faces and was just MFing them behind their back. Vague recollections. If they let her actually do, bring kind of that character to the Janine Pirro character and let her explore that face, it really jumped off the screen. I mean, I think there could be a sneaky nomination in there. Again, I don't know anything enough about the movie to say if that's going to happen, but if they let her have the screen, I could see that playing out. Okay, so she's been in Legally Blonde, Meet the Parents... Waiting, yes, waiting, Michael. Waiting is what I know her from, yes. So you were saying Margot Robbie times two, and then you said Alana Ubach has a chance. And we always see newcomers mm-hmm. in these categories, typically. Right. In the acting category. So that, that's a distinct possibility. It's interesting that you went there, and, of course, you chose three for one spot pick. Like I said, 
I don't stick to rules here. All right, we're going to go we make them. to original score. 1917 is going to be composed by Thomas Newman. I guess that movie by Sam Mendes, that war movie, is going to come out this yeah, year. Yeah, I'm surprised by that. We had Ad Astra from Max Richter. We have Tamar Kali, The Last Thing He Wanted. John Williams is doing The Rise of Skywalker. Walker. We have Trevor. Walker, Gar- Walker. Garakis doing The Goldfinch, which was good in the trailer. That yeah, it was. Whatever song was in there. I, I don't know if that's a score from the movie or not. But we have Nate Heller doing A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which that's hard to screw up, probably. Also being directed by Marielle Heller. That's true. Mm-hmm. We have Carter Burwell doing The Good Liar, and of course, Randy Newman from Toy Story 4. <laughs> I had to mention him. My front runner right now is Terrence Blanchard for Harriet. I think this movie's going to be huge. Yeah, you and Clayton Davis both. I just think this is prime ground for a great score because you're going to have the drama and you're going to have a dramatic score. You're going to have the suspense. And I think suspense scores work on us more than they do on maybe some other people, but they they work on people. Yeah. And you can really go crazy with that score. So I'm making him the early front runner at the moment well, until you're I fool. hear different. You're a damn fool <laughs> because it's score and the front runner, it's Star Wars coming to an end after thirty five years. The front runner Sean Williams. He's a yeah, guarantee. Is to be it nominated. coming to an end though? Well the Skywalker saga is fine. But it's also the rise <laughs> of the Skywalker. Yeah. I don't think people are gonna consider either Avengers Endgame or The Rise of Skywalker as this final movie in a series that they have to pay homage to, though. Just stop to look this up quick, but he has rarely done a Star Wars movie that he didn't get nominated for. He didn't get nominated for the prequel trilogy, which kind of surprised me, but the first three movies and the previous two of this trilogy he has been nominated for. I mean, this is this is what Frontrunner meets. He does, he's doing a Star Wars movie. He's going to be nominated. Probably going to be nominated. <laughs> I, I wouldn't begrudge you for a likely nominee there, but is it going to win? Is there enough original to that score? Or do people take the credit for the original movie and that part of the score? That's a fair and, argument. And put it out of their mind. Maybe I misplaced it. Maybe I should have put him in as a likely instead of a, a front runner. but I did what I did. Who's your likely nom? <laughs> My likely nominee is Trent Reznor slash Atticus Ross for The Woman in the Window. Yeah. Mike, the, the social network score, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl. I listen to these scores as I write. I, I have my whole last 15 years. Yeah. I love these scores. They're phenomenal. They are. And I think it made the social network, that score that they came up with for that. It makes me so much more excited for The Woman in the Window now that I know that these two guys are going to be behind the music in these, this movie. So I'm thrilled for it. I'm so in for The Woman in the Window more than ever because of that production value. Yeah, Reznor seems to be taking the mantle as like the go-to guy for serious, dramatic Hollywood Oscar-contending pieces, so that would not surprise me. With synth. <laughs> With synth. <laughs> Do you think that like hardcore Nine Inch Nail fans out there are just rip shit about him being the new like Hollywood elite? I don't like, care. Just get out of the movie industry They're and not... make me CDs. I don't care, and none of them are listening to the, our Oscar podcast right now, so Follow I really up. don't care. Follow-up Trent Reznor-related question. <laughs> Do you think he should stop making scores since he peaked with the social network and that's the greatest film score ever made? Of course not, because the the next few were good. They were really good. And they helped me write. He's he's, he's awesome. I I think that's a pretty safe bet. I'll also go a different route and I'll sing the praises of another Twilight alum and I'll say Carter Burwell for The Good Liar, which is getting a lot of praise for Ian McKellen right now, I know, for Best Actor, but... Carter Burwell historically isn't a guy that makes like memorable, moving, emotionally moving film scores, but he did 
like three billboards. Mm-hmm. And he does this. He, he's, he's very good at giving a film its own sound. Three billboards, he did this with the repeated drum tapping going across the, the playing of the, the stringed instruments. He did this Bella's Lullaby from the Twilight movie. It's a very slow, methodic melody that's, you know, I don't think it's anything you're going to listen to when you're writing, but I think it's very recognizable as, oh, that's from Twilight. That's from Three Billboards. Yeah. I can expect this be, oh, that's from The Good Liar. I can expect that coming out of him again. That makes a lot of sense. That's a good pick there. I, I agree with that pick. I think he's got to be good at lying, though, in that score. I think that score's got to do something where it just gives us some kind of instruments early and then other kind of instruments later. Like he's like playing a guitar and he's like, no, it's actually been a recorder the whole time. And we, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think the score has got to lie to us. All right. gotta, I don't know how that he does that in music form, but he's got to do it. What's and your wild do it good. What's your wild card pick? Oh, I'm such a dork. <laughs> My wild card pick, of course, is Michael Abel's from Us. Yeah. For that remix alone. Yeah. I've got five on it, remixed to make that movie in the finale. That is my favorite musical good delivered to me throughout this year. In a trailer, never mind, in the movie itself. I can't imagine loving music in a movie anymore this year. Yeah, it's probably unfair because it's a movie we've already seen and also we're both disciples of the Church of Peel, but I'm with you here again. Look, I don't even know if that counts, though. Right. It depends on... That's one of the caveats I have. It depends on how the Academy is going to treat that. If they're going to say it's part of the original score, if the remix is part of the original score or not. If it is part of the original score... Maybe not since Hans Zimmer and Dunkirk, when he had to basically use music to replace dialogue in certain scenes, yep. has the score been so intricate to the plot of the film that we were watching as that remix version of I've Got Five on it is. So I'm with you 100%. My guess is, I would love it. My guess is it's not going to happen. I agree with your assessment. And I'm uh, very yeah. upset about yeah. that. Let's move on to the sound categories. As means of review here, we're doing both sound editing and sound mixing. So for purposes of explanation, which I've decided we're always going to need, just as many as any listener here, sound editing is the creation of certain sounds i allow the sound of a bone breaking actually being created by some fresh produce being snapped in half against the microphone in the studio or a sound mixing is the editing of those sounds together <laughs> yes so sound mixing is the editing is how i remember it it's the actual mixing of the sounds into the film against synonymous other sounds with editing yes, it sound is. mixing You're right. and why very is backwards thinking the synonym of one used I, for the other i don't know what do we have for some contenders here, Michael? Okay, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Ad Astra, Rocket Man, Gemini Man, Cats, Avengers Endgame. Those are some that stood out to me. For mixing. For mixing from award circuit there. The Goldfinch, the Rhythm Section, Harriet, the Irishman, also mentioned in the first group, are, are in the editing conversation as well. I'm going to start with my front runner that I didn't mention there. I agree with Clayton. It's Ford versus Ferrari, car chase movies, racing films. We've seen it with Baby Driver recently getting that nomination. I do think Ford versus Ferrari could be a potential Oscar magnet. It's been on yeah, the I tips agree. of people's tongues when they talk about the Oscars right now. James Mangold has been knocking on the door for a while. In recent years, he had a big success with the uh, Johnny Cash movie. What was that called? Walk the Line. Walk the Line, thank you, years ago. And I think he could get back into the conversation. I think that movie understands where it's going to get its Oscar recognition and something like this, they can make a strong campaign. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And certainly the first trailer, that first look we got of this movie inspired Oscar's confidence in that. This certainly looks like a movie that's going to be around contending. In terms of editing, I'm going to say The Rise of Skywalker because pork screams and droid sounds. (laughs) Beeps and boops and whooshes. (laughs) 
and that <laughs> that's probably gonna yeah, be cool. Makes, makes a lot of sense, and that usually Star Wars has a history of being in the sound categories, so that would not surprise me. Here's my thinking with both categories. Mm-hmm. If Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to be Tarantino's Citizen Kane that he says it is, and early scores indicate it's being received if as... If it is, why haven't we heard that it is from Cannes, though? Okay. All right, but all right, fine. Fair. Fair counterpoint. The review scores, the aggregate scores... Are high. Are not high. Like, the highest of any movie ever right now. So, if it is that movie, and it is going to be that movie at the Oscars, it, it's going to have to get nominations lower in the card, yeah. such as in the sound categories. And we discussed in our review of Kill Bill Volume 1 especially, that should have been nominated for sound editing in the way he created the sounds during the fight. And sure. we know there's a Bruce Lee character that's in a fight scene in this movie already. We've seen that from the previews. And we know how respectful and homage to make up a word, that Tarantino is towards the kung fu genre definitely, in general. Definitely. So it makes sense to me. Like Now, is it cheap to answer that Once Upon a Time Hollywood is going to be a likely or a front runner for all these categories? Maybe, but I do genuinely feel that when the time comes, this is going to be one of the leaders in nominations. And I do think it's going to be one of those like eight-point-something IMDb scores yeah. at the end of the day. I agree with you, despite my devil's advocacy. I think that's a good counterpoint. And you know, there, there's going to be controversy. It's going to have to sidestep just because it's Tarantino, Or overcome, too. or meet yeah. head-on. We're right. going to talk about that in our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood preview coming out right. next week, folks. Or the week after. I don't remember now. Time is a flat circle. What's your likely nominee? It's 1917. And I know that is a, really is a risky pick because it may not come out this year. I think it is. But yeah. Sam Mendes making a war movie. War movies, typically the well-done ones, get nominees in this category. Yep. So that's my guess. I think that makes a lot of sense, and that's a safe pick. And and typically, historically, gritty epics, whether they're fantasy epics, war epics, sci-fi epics, they tend to do very well in the sound editing category. Pearl Harbor, The Two Towers, Letters to Iwo Jima, The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, American Sniper, Arrival, and Dunkirk are all winners of this category in recent years. So 1917 is probably a spot-on, likely nom. I can see Rocket Man sneaking in a nomination here, too. As Based on Bo Rap. Bo Rap won it last year, yeah. Uh, as far as through-and-through through musicals go, I'd be shocked, unfortunately for me, if Tom Hooper's Cats didn't land a nom in mixing because Chicago, Ray, Dreamgirls, Les Mis, Whiplash, and Bo Rap have all won the mixing category in the past 18 years. So the editing of Jennifer Hudson's beautiful voice. You're gonna love me! With... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever's going on in the cat. I don't know the cat story. Everybody's I hope a dog stealing. comes in and eats the cats. <laughs> I have a void in my story consumption on musicals. Of musicals. Well, you didn't appreciate West Side Story, which you watched recently. No. Yeah. And, and I have a feeling Cats is going to be similar in that vein. I don't um, know. I yeah. might love it. We I might won't. love it. I you are you're you're basically <laughs> having a grudge against it before you even see it. I do this every year with one contender. Last year was a Star is Born before I ended up rooting for a Star is Born come Oscars time. So I do this is my this is what I do. You're you're predictably unpredictable, <laughs> I guess. Right. What's your wild card here for the sound category? Toy one? Story Four. Yeah. I would love for this movie to get more nominations than just animated feature. I was totally immersed in the action, in the horror, in the spectacle of this one. We talked about the sound effects going a long way toward accomplishing that immersive factor yeah. that, that got us in, that sucked us in. We we gushed about the sound effects in all of the Pixar movies. We did a 20-whatever movie rewatch, 21 movie rewatch leading into Toy Story 4. I think Pixar should get more credit in other categories because of their filmmaking prowess, because of their master filmmaking machine 
that they have going on. Their master class. Yeah. Look, filmmaking machine. Toy Story 4 was an unbelievable movie. I know we're higher on it than most people seem to be, but it hit all the notes that Toy Story 3 did emotionally. There are people with baby shoes doing the pitter-patter of these toys yeah. onto whatever, laptop, whatever they're doing, onto tables. Yeah. That's how good they are. So editing, which is not the mixing, but the creation of sounds, <laughs> and then mixing, which is the editing of the sounds together. Either one! Toy Story 4 would be a lovable long shot. For uh, me. I would love to see that as well. I would also love to see Endgame here in either yeah, one, because good. that's the only... I mean, there's one movie that gave me goosebumps and made me cry uh, three times this year, and every time <laughs> I saw it, and even though I was prepared for it, it still happened, and that was the finale, the kickoff to the big finale in endgame there so Definitely. i would love to see that uh, having not seen it yet though to not repeat myself i'll go on a bit of a limb here i would also like to see the lighthouse content for mixing or editing silence and creepy sounds played a big role in eggers vich witch vich film v. yeah so if you're taking that director putting him in a lighthouse and you're going to deal with the silence and the the isolation of being a lighthouse keeper it's a lot of wind though a lot of wind a lot of crashing waves I don't know if you're going to deal with that. You're going to have to edit it out if you're going to make that sound because it's not there and you need it there There's naturally. corn cob pipes that are going to be wrapped on tables. A lot of corn cob pipe-ish going on. I agree. So uh, I think the, there's a blueprint, there's a path here for that movie to land sound nominees. We'll see if it actually I'm happens. hoping that movie's awesome. Me too. I really hope it's good. Even though it is going to be a sequel to John Carpenter's The Fog from 1980 and I won't be convinced otherwise. <laughs> Documentary feature, Michael. <laughs> you basically take your brain and uh-huh. you put it in one direction yeah. and you don't allow... I make up facts, and then I make up facts to support my facts. Why it's so infuriating to text message with you? (laughs) Because you have like 15 assumptions when we have a text message argument. I'm sure the people want to hear about that. Let's go into documentary feature, which is equally as infuriating in recent years. Yes. You and the documentary... I would argue more so, but yes. The documentary branch of the Academy. All right. uh, Some contenders that we're going to talk about later, if not today. Maiden. Penguins, Disney's Penguins, Aquarella, Impeachment, Untouchable, Ask Dr. Ruth, Love, and Tosha. Okay, your front runner, Michael. I can't believe we're actually covering this category again <laughs> after what it's done to us the last two years. We have the same front runner. Go it, ahead. It's Apollo 11. Yeah. Truly, I believe this should be the front runner because it was an experience unlike any other mm-hmm. that I've had at the movies. There's big budget visual goods delivered. There's innovation on the genre, on this type of documentary. It elevated a topic in American history that has been perhaps the most covered by film and television, etc. I would be furious if this is not nominated. And if it doesn't win at the end of the day, if there's something better, all right, show me. Show me. But right now, I think the documentary film branch would be crazy not to nominate. Don't even, don't even get your hopes. We know it's not going to be nominated because it's it it, sh- it should win. It's it's not. I stick by what I but said. All those things I just said. I, I agree with all of them. But they that's were, why it's not going to be nominated. Damn it! I mean, we said the same about the Mister Rogers this is documentary like last year. Nick's and Giants talk right now. For <laughs> me. <laughs> that's how afraid I am. So here's the way I'm already starting to rationalize the Academy overlooking this yeah. because. Again, Apollo 11 is less a documentary to me and more so just a rite of passage for being in this country. Like, you should watch it if you're an American. They have it's such incredible. an olive branch to the other half of the country yep. who could see a patriotic movie yep. winning here. 
and and applaud it. Co-sign like, everything you said. It would work. It would really it would. would work for the academy for the Oscars broadcast. It inspires a, a, a sense of being and purpose in everybody that lives in this country. It is that incredible and that amazing to see. So in my mind, I'm already rationalizing. If it somehow avoids nomination, it's because it's not even a documentary. It's above the Oscars. It's just that important of a, an and event. Win a special Oscar. You get it like a medal of freedom or something. I mean, this is truly it's an incredible thing. We're on a string also, talking about documentaries in general, we're on a string the last few years with this category, despite the Academy's shortcomings. There's been a lot of like, it's like a golden age for documentary features right now, despite what the Academy's done with their, oh, true. With their nominations. Uh, definitely at the box office. I feel like that might be coming to, it might be a dip because we've been on such a high road lately right. with like once in a lifetime documentaries that we might be in kind of a lull this year, because I don't see many that are jumping off the page to me. With that in mind, I'll pick as a front runner. Mike Wallace is here if I can't have Apollo 11. Okay. Because progressive Hollywood being what it is, I think this could be an important time that they take a stand to remind everyone the importance of news media. And Mike Wallace, obviously, being a longtime CBS 60 Minutes contributor and news person there, if that focuses on that. Biodoc? You're picking a Biodoc? Yeah, here? man. Well, I just think. Look, RBG made it, right? RBG made nomination. But it didn't win it. It didn't win it. It didn't win it. didn't win it. But it it, it, it led, it, it was there in nominations. If I'm picking something, maybe it won't win, but I'm most sure that it'll be there at the end of the day for nominations at least. I think this is where I'll go because I think it's an easy statement for progressive Hollywood to make, that the news media can't be torn down and can't be thrown aside. Well, that's a good transition to my likely nomination because I'm going to say knock down the house. I yeah, think issue movies typically get nominated. I think Netflix is going to push it. I haven't seen it yet. I've got to watch it, so maybe I'm talking out of my butt right now. I don't know, but it's on everybody's lists. I've almost pushed play on this a hundred times. Yeah, same. And man. I just am like, am I ready for the politics yet? I'll be ready for the politics soon. I'll, I'll watch this. Yeah, and everybody that's seen it seems to love it and seems to give it great. AOC remarks, so. is a star. She's absolute yeah. star. Oh, Would, love her. Can you imagine yeah. her at the Oscars? <laughs> can you imagine them giving her an Oscar? What a controversy that would be for for half the country. Uh, I'm good with that, though. I would love that. I would love to see her get that moment. I also think one of, if not both, of One Child Nation or Cold Case Hammerskrold, my apologies if I mispronounced that, Land Nons, and I think it's important for one of them, if not both of them, too. Nanfu Wanj, um, again, apologies if I mispronounced it. She's the director of One Child Nation. It's about China's policy limiting families to one child per household. Uh, it's already won the Grand Jury's Prize for U.S. documentaries at Sundance. Okay. Cold... Sundance has got a track record now. It does. and They've, they've certainly at least been a hotbed for like releasing... Starting off Oscars momentum that carries through award season. It does. Yeah. Typically. Cold Case Hammers Gold also has Sundance success. Director's Mads Bruger there won the World Cinema Documentary Directing Award for his documentary investigating the mysterious death of Swedish diplomat Dag Hammerskold. Not easy names for me to pronounce, but here's my point by picking out these. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that we start recognizing international films in more than just the categories that international films are supposed to, quote unquote, be recognized in. We had the surprise cinematography nomination last year with that German film, uh, Never Look Away. Yep. We've had kind of international films seep into other categories. Documentary feature has been a, a haven for international films. I mean, you had Cold War and Roma. You had three in that category. I think it's important to start spreading the wings. I mean, international features have started to catch up with American cinema in some ways. And I think it's important that the Oscars recognizes that. The box office yeah. is catching up. So I think the Academy recognizes it and that it's been popping up in the last few nominations uh years of nominations i should say i, I agree with that that's a, that's a, that's fascinating my dream scenario 
Penny Marshall's Rodman, Dennis, the Dennis Rodman <laughs> movie. He's always been one of those fascinating sports personalities in my yeah, lifetime. For sure. What would he wear on the red carpet, Mike? A Nobody wed- knows. A wedding dress? He could be. Dipped in hieroglyphics? <laughs> Is Kim Jong-un going to be his date? What would that No. <laughs> what would that do? Could you imagine if, if that happens and AOC gets nominated to be on the red carpet in the same night? Great for ratings. Great. But that would fix everything for Disney this year and ABC. Everybody would tune in to watch AOC, Kim (laughs) Jong-un, Meryl Streep. Who else could we bring? I mean, but just thinking about seriously, Penny Marshall making a documentary on Dennis Rodman. Just think about the two of them hanging out. God bless her soul. <laughs> yeah. I, I, God rest her soul. God yeah. bless her soul. My God, I can't wait to see that. That's going to be fascinating. I can't believe it's. Is it a thirty for thirty? It's not a thirty for thirty. I have no idea. It would be the best thirty <laughs> for thirty. But well, other than maybe OJ Made in America, which is really not a thirty for thirty. It's a seventy for thirty. Yeah, it will change the way the documentary feature well category yeah, goes did. from now on. It did. All right. So, what's your dream scenario, Mike? My dream scenario is somehow that Elizabeth Holmes documentary that was on HBO finds its way into a theatrical release, so it's worthy of nomination because I don't think it had a theatrical release. And okay. Without one of those, it can't be considered for this category. It could be up for an Emmy, some but, some way. Yeah, that's that's the most captivating documentary I've seen in like five years. I don't think it's the best, but it's the one I. What's would, it called again? Uh, the Inventor, Blood and Silicon, Blood and Look, Searching for Blood in Silicon Valley, and it's about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. I've almost clicked on that like fifteen times as well. It's. I think I've watched it three or four times already. It's, it's just good. amazing. It's just, I have, I'm fascinated with people who are come off as believable, mm-hmm. get lies thrown in their face, evidence of their lying and their demeanor not changing. And that's the case here. She's, Is that what you aspire to? In a way. <laughs> it, it just always has fascinated me. Throw and, shade. and I don't mean, I don't mean like right. people that are obvious liars like our president tends to be sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because I mean people that come off as presenting facts in one, and you're like, yeah, there's no reason not to believe this person. That was a cheap shot by me, but I... Do think something we've been doing on MMOWs is like if you watch something, then I'll like not watch it. So we'll watch something else and give people right. more reviews. That was the case. This was a casualty of you watching it and then me not taking what you say to me and just Ignoring watching it. something else. <laughs> no, but you do it too. I know. I know you do I know. it too because we're like, all right, we got to give the people more stuff. So right. that I'm going to say I'm going to watch this soon, and we'll have a double review for you at some point. I, I would love for that to be. I don't know if it, if it's capable of being Academy uh, recognized. I want to see that. I want to see a, the AOC movie yeah. this week. We can go into Best Actor now, Mike. Yeah, this is where we're going to wrap up this episode with the final one. We saved the biggest category we think that this uh, episode has for last year. We'll talk about some Best Actor possibilities. On Award Circuit's list right now, we have Ian McKellen from The Good Liar. We just reviewed that trailer. Leonardo DiCaprio from Ueth Thank you. Ueth <laughs> No, once upon a time That should have been what Tarantino named it. That should have just been another Tarantino Easter. Ueth Yeah. Mark Ruffalo is in that untitled Todd Haynes project. That's another untitled project. There's a lot of them. Imagine if that's the title of the project. There's a few. Like, Fair and Balance isn't going to be the Roger Ailes name. I think they they went back. Oh, they, it may, may be after all, but it's being called the untitled Roger Ailes project right now. Huh. Robert De Niro's in The Irishman. Timothy Chalamet, or Timothy Chalamet, we'll call him. <laughs> Is going to be in The King. We have Adam Driver, who's in an untitled Noah Baumbach project yeah. that we referenced earlier. And Daniel Kaluuya in Queen and Slim. We reviewed that trailer not too long ago. Yeah. We're going to talk about a few more. And the first one is the obvious one for me. I'm going to believe he's the front runner until 
The academy tells me different. You I jerk. think because he looks just like Fred Rogers in the photos. Yeah. I'm talking, of course, about Tom Hanks in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Those photos went viral. He's going to do the opposite of the fat suit. Right. He's which going, uh, is the same but different, which is a movie industry maxim. Yeah. The same but different. He's going to give it to us this year. I think Mariel Heller is going to crush this uh, in terms of uh, her directing of this movie. I think that this story is going to work. I believe it's going to be hard to screw this up, though. I don't mean that as a diss. No. A backhanded I... compliment to Mariel Heller. And I didn't love Can You Forever Forgive Me. Can you ever forgive me or forever <laughs> forgive me? Which is something we always asked last award season. For I didn't our love mispronouncing on, of movie titles. I didn't love it on first watch, but it grew on me after time. And I wonder if that'll if, if that'll come into play. I think she will have a voice to be heard from for the directing category as well when we get to it. Yeah, of I course, Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers is the front runner. You jerk. We, this is something we called like eighteen months ago when we first saw the 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 story leak out that this was going to happen. Right. I also think this is not a point I'm making. This is a point someone on Twitter made about Renee Zellweger, her Judy Garland picture coming out. But we're on a streak right now of a couple of years in a row of the lead acting category winners winning after having their pictures from the set go viral. Gary Oldman and Winston Churchill, that picture went viral well before the movie came it's out. Like it's, yeah, it's, we're predisposed to love that performance. Remy Malik with that, that scene with him as Freddie Mercury on the Live Aid stage, that went viral before that bow rap came out and he the shocked the world. definition of Oscar bait, right. isn't it? So we're on a couple years in a row now where that makes a lot of sense that the Tom Hanks picture already went out there. I don't know why this happens. <laughs> Maybe it is just predisposition and getting us used to it, but that's what's happened. But yes, of course Tom Hanks is the, the leader, but since you took that and I don't want to copy your picks like I've done all episodes, long uh, i'll go somewhere else and my pick will be incredibly boring but it goes back to if the film is received widely in the same way it's been limited yeah the fact is that once upon a time in hollywood's going to land a ton of nominations and leo is doing the most acting in any trailer for once upon a time in hollywood that we've seen the dancing the flipping out in the trailer there the crying after the little girl tells him he's great i may go so far as to say that that may be the greatest showcase of acting in any trailer ever I mean, Leo is astounding in, in so many different ways in that that trailer for Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, maybe since Leo acted in the trailer for The Revenant, right. acted in the trailer for The Wolf of Wall Street, that's a great pick. Yeah, I don't it's know boring. I don't, yeah, I mean, it's, it's by a the book. Pick, yeah, but it's not really a boring pick because you had wonderful superlatives. Yay um, me! Good job. Good <laughs> what's, job. Your, what's your likely nomination here, Michael? It's Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. This is just smart by you, yeah. Yeah, Ken gave him the best actor yep. nod, and I do think the Academy will want to vote for him. They will want to nominate him. Now, all that being said, is this movie a downer, like the trailer suggests? It looks like it's a downer. Look, it looks, and I said this when we reviewed the trailer. This looks like the stereotypical every international film trailer that you've ever made up in your head. <laughs> Almodovar is so much different than that in his career. He makes the movie that you don't think is a foreign film, that you don't think is an international Agreed. film, that that works uh, as a melodrama, that works as a as a as a commercial film, that works with Penelope Cruz just throwing us for a tizzy, that All... works. And when Antonio Banderas remakes the what was that movie, the girl with the face, the horror movie, <laughs> the girl with the face, that should be a movie title. Okay, we paused it, and I looked it up. <laughs> it's eyes without a face. Yes. I was close. Lalita de Vassil. The girl with a face. The girl with the face. <laughs> Amodavar remakes movies like that, Skin I Live In, for, and it's a wild movie, and it's not your typical international film. I, awesome. I agree with everything you're saying. All I'm saying is that trailer, 
All we needed was Banderas laying down in an open field in a black and white lens with, like, Finn being written over the screen. <laughs> and a guy with a violin yeah. <laughs> and a mustache and a cigarette. Like, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It looks like a very stero- stereotypical yes. international film trailer. Yes. No, that's my only word. I, I hope you're right. And I obviously can found their reason for you to be correct that they gave him the Best Actor <laughs> Award. Uh, it certainly does add up. It'll be interesting to see how that performance holds up throughout the awards circuit of different states as well. I'll remain undeterred from my take during our 100% like accurate 2020 Oscars prediction show. Good. That's the show we released after the Oscars this year when we were forecasting forward a year into the future what the 2020 Oscars will have in store. I'm going to say... Daniel Kaluuya for Queen and Slim. And that trailer, when He's I awesome. read first read the premise of that film, yeah. that trailer was basically what I had in my mind already. And it looks like they're being very true to the Bonnie and Clyde type format with current of the day issues. I'm mad at you because you're basing it on evidence in trailers. And I typically have done that <laughs> in previous years. But I didn't do that this year. I based on photos and <laughs> award circuit lists, Clayton Davis's and and what? And awards from Cannes Film Festival. What's happening to me? What's happening to me? Turning I have to bring it around. Critic. Oh, God. Am I, am I really? No, but you're watching trailers and you're seeing those performances. Yeah. I'm proud of you. You're, you're going back to your roots. All right. Well, speaking of going back to the roots, let's bring in an old timer here to bring back for a lovable long shot that you have it's, for your wild card pick. It's Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Dolomite is my name because... Where have you been, Mr. Murphy? We're all curious. He's been making Tower Heist. We're going to give him the benefit of the doubt going into this because we love Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy's been hilarious our whole lives. We grew up on his comedy specials, yeah. his movies, and his impersonations of donkeys. There's, <laughs> right? There's something about that, right? But this is could be a very Oscar-y role. He's essentially coming out of retirement to do this because where's he been? So as narratives go, I'm, I'm with you there. And I think it's very possible that he's working with the perfect director to help him do this. When Craig Brewer, who's the director of that Dolomite Is My Name yeah. movie. So Brewer was a writer on the new Tarzan from 2016 and directed Black Snake Moan. Okay. But he's also the guy that turned Terrence Howard from yeah. Terrence to Sean Howard, familiar TV face, to Terrence Howard, lead actor nominee in Hustle and Flow. Yeah. So he has a history of doing well with these types of movies. Here's where I'll caution and what my worry is. Society and culture, we don't really live in a world anymore where we try to stigmatize and demonize sex workers in the way we have for decades. And if Eddie Murphy is playing a pimp from the oh. 70s, yeah. I don't know if it's a stereotypical what we all think of pimps from the 70s as if it's going to be a lot of women abuse on screen. I don't yeah, know how that's going to play. Not, not gonna so that's my only worry with that. As for my own pick, I really wanted to pick John Lithgow playing Roger Ailes. But you just said what you just said. Right. So I, I'm not going to do that there. <laughs> um, I am going to pick an older actor and use, like I said, when you said it was time at the top of the episode, it's this person's time for talking about Emma Thompson. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it might be this person's time as well. Jonathan Price has been acting steadily since like the 70s. I was shocked to see he had like no nominations. He's got shocked. one BAFTA nom for his work in film and How that's it. How does he it. not have all the BAFTA noms? I'm based on amazed by this. His voice. And I was advocating he might have, he should, was worthy of consideration for last year's The Wife. He should be the voice of the BAFTA trophy. That trophy <laughs> could speak... And yes, he should be the husband of a Glenn Close wife. Yeah, he's playing a role. He was great. He he is playing Pope Francis opposite Anthony Hopkins, Pope Benedict, and Fernando Marialis' The Pope, which is due out later this year as Mm -hmm. well. 
you could talk about the lifetime achievement narrative because Price has been in everything from Brazil to playing the big bad guy in Tomorrow Never Dies, one of the James Bond movies, to obviously being in The Wife last year, helping Glenn Close on her Oscars campaign. But the guy has escaped nomination outside of one Golden Globe nom for his work in TV and one BAFTA nom for his work in the film Carrington in 1995. Is he bad at campaigning, I wonder? Uh, could be, maybe. Does he not care about campaigning? But now... Like we've seen other actors do in their golden years, they just have a great campaign and they win people over and they get a new, fresh new group of people to campaign to and they love it and they, they, they buy into it. And as a Christian, with Jonathan Price, the Pope and leader of my church, that would make me feel good. <laughs> so I could buy him in that role. <laughs> I, I just I, He's a scary ass Pope though, no? Is he more terrifying than Anthony Hopkins is a pope? Correct, Anthony. <laughs> but they're both scary popes. Oh, no. Jude Law. If Jude Law is in this movie as a pope, I'm free. If he plays the younger Anthony Hopkins pope, oh, no. <laughs> so it was the pope the show was just a forerunner and a prequel to this movie. I don't think it's probable at all that this happens, but I think having Jonathan Price on the Oscars circuit and being someone that is campaigning and that we can't get behind, I think that would just all make us all feel good that cover this stuff. So I, I, I would like to see that. I can't disagree with that. Is that it? Are we, are we done? That's seven. I oh mean, God. we say that's it, but we're ver- verging on three hours here, the three-hour mark like on this, this episode. one so. of three episodes, yeah. so we're excited. Yeah, look, that's the, the kickoff. Halfway Point is a very important show for us, so we wanted to stretch it out and, and get a lot of content and use out of it and dive deep into every category as we could. So this is part one, like Mike just said. We have parts two and three coming out in the next couple weeks as well, so we're going to give you your Oscars fix, your horse race fix, as it were, uh, for the next few weeks going here. We obviously want to know your thoughts about any of these categories, anything coming up, and how do you think they compare to other picks and highlights that you've seen from other sources all around do you have a pick that we did not highlight that you think is an underdog with a real chance let us know that and we want your comments questions concerns about everything going on that we cover in the mmo empire you can reach out to us we are mike mike and oscar on facebook mike mike and oscar on instagram mm and oscar on the twitter machine mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available everywhere you hear podcasts whether that's TuneIn, stitcher soundcloud itunes spotify google play etc etc if you appreciate what we do here if you can take a couple seconds out of your day and give us a five-star review on itunes those truly go a long way they do really mean a lot to us we appreciate those michael that's a long wordage for me do things (laughs) i will talk now here's me talking (laughs) no we're gonna we're gonna do a lot of fun stuff in the coming weeks we're gonna continue our tarantino rewatch we got django unchained and glorious bastards next and of course we have the hateful eight uh that rewatch has been a lot of fun we've been doing some deep dives yeah it's been a blast Uh, and for good and for ill we've criticized tarantino as much as we've lauded him for stuff uh it's been a really fun way to study movies absolutely that rewatch we just finished our pixar movie rewatch as well leading into toy story 4 we did an arc on the avengers we've covered captain marvel and spider-man far from home and we also dive into horror movies like midsummer and we do deep dives into those we did a two-parter on hereditary way back when in midsummer we probably could have cut into two parts so we are showing a lot of versatility to further cement the fact that we are versatile we just talked about putting the x-men into the mcu and theorized on that for an hour. Yeah. That's how versatile what we are. What a good segue. We are you. versatile. That's a great segue. We are not versatile physically speaking. Or mentally. Or mentally speaking for you. Or I'm the opposite of you <laughs> mentally and emotionally. So I we're both blunt instruments mentally and emotionally. <laughs> but as critics, as movie critics, we are versatile. 
Yes. And we're doing a lot of different stuff. We're going to have a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood review and a preview yeah. heading into that movie. We'll review it the Tuesday or Wednesday afterwards for you uh, after it comes out because we're going to study it some more. But we got MMO Weekly, which is a another highlight of our versatility because we cover like 70 topics in each and every episode. Look, it's our variety show. I don't like patting ourselves on the back, and maybe we won't. Maybe it comes out incoherently anyway. But I don't. every time I edit an MMO Weekly, when I have to do the, the timestamps in the show notes, I'm like, how the hell did we cover all these freaking topics? We must just either sound like the most intelligent or least intelligent men in the world. We surface level cover. No, we dive into all these things. <laughs> we really do. And we're, we're able. Well, those are so much fun to record yeah. there's so much fun to prepare and we do it we chip away at it over the course of every week so that is a lot of fun if you're not listening to those please listen to those if you're coming back to us now for our oscar horse race talk for our oscar race updates it's what we do best you know check out the rest of our catalog because yeah. we really worked our butts off and i i don't mind patting ourselves on the back for that we worked our butts off in these rewatches the off season is over michael i know because the mid-year oscar report is here and yet we were working harder than we were during the freaking Oscar season last year. I don't. This isn't an Tarantino movies this are is, hard to review. This is hell. This is hell. Life is hard and existence is pain. Mike, what's some words of wisdom to wrap this up with? I tell you what's not wise. This <laughs> is calling sound mixing, which is really the editing of sound, and then calling sound editing something else. That's still confusing. That's why I can't keep it straight, because you keep presenting it that way, and it makes no sense. It's probably me being not wise, <laughs> presenting it that way, because sound editors are just like never going to come on the show. Sound mixers, and we we should be a haven for sound editors doing an Oscar podcast. Sound mixers are just like, no man, we just mix the sounds together. <laughs> that's literally the job. They need to come on our show and set us straight because we're idiots. Yes, maybe that's agree. The, maybe that's the wisdom of them. But no, it's <laughs> it's wise to get back at us and let us know all your Oscar theories right now. Yeah, because we're diving into this six-month odyssey. It's really a eight-month odyssey now. It just doesn't end. Yeah, but now we're kicking off like this big Oscars thing that we do. Yeah. Right here. And it now. It just doesn't end. <laughs> well, we look forward to it. Sincerely want to hear your thoughts, guys, as always. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We'll check you out soon. See ya. See ya.